Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Walter Smith poured himself a cup of tea, took a seat in the corner of the Rangers dressing room and watched as his players exchanged insults and punches. It was half-time of the sixth league game of the season and his double-winning side had yet to regain their form with only two wins, two draws and a chaotic defeat up at Dundee. Now they were a goal down at home to the early leaders, Aberdeen, scored by Roy Aitken no less, and those frustrations had finally reached breaking point. Andy Gorham had felt that Nigel Spackman had left Aitken in too much space at the edge of the box and lambasted him at the time, only to receive not one but two wanker gestures in return. I was apoplectic in a seethe, wrote Gorham. That wasn't Rangers. We didn't publicly point the finger at people. Presumably loudly berating teammates in public was fair game, but either way, the Rangers goalkeeper nearly took the dressing room door off its hinges at the break. Gorham warned Spackman that if he ever did anything like that again, he would fucking kill him. Spackman coolly replied, sit down, you fat bastard, and all hell broke loose as three punches were landed on the midfielder before the team managed to prize the two senior professionals apart. It was only then that Smith intervened. He'd found the right moment where he could remind his players that enough was enough, that their current levels were nowhere near the best, and that this had to change. And because of the heightened tension in the room, the warning would have resonance. What happened next didn't just leave the Rangers support spellbound for the remaining 45 minutes, but for the rest of a long season. A switch had been flicked that made Rangers seem unbeatable, not only at home, but more importantly on the continent too. Rangers had helped build the footballing stage of the future, and soon they'd be on it, bringing the house down as television audiences throughout the United Kingdom became hooked on the drama that unfolded with neutrals in southern England becoming every bit as tense as those Ibrox regulars. Never before nor since have Rangers been both as dominant at home and as relevant at the forefront of the European game. The dream shared by generations to be kings of Europe felt both so tangible and yet tantalisingly ephemeral. As lucid and as engaging as contrarian arguments may have been over the years, let there be no doubt about it. This was the greatest season of them all, and to discuss our four 
two-part look at the impossible dream 92-93. I'm joined by David Edgar. How are we, David? I'm good, thank you, Martin. I'm very much looking forward to this summer of 92 where I actually did get my first real six-string. So that uh, uh, plays very much into a nostalgic summer for me. Um, when you and I, along with uh, James Forrest, went back and did the look at 92-93, it's in the, the archives, folk, if you search for it, I think both of us were a little surprised by the start. Yeah. Because I had erased it from my memory that 1992-93 is all glory, really. Um, that was what my my mind presented it as. And it wasn't. It became it, but there was a poor start, a languid start, uh, followed by... The, the thing is, after a poor start, you don't know it's all going to be good. <laughs> and you're going to go 44 yeah. domestic matches unbeaten in, in the European run. So you've got to build up. And I think it was really only in the, the latter stages of that season with the excitement for Europe that we realised just how special everything was. So it it's always interesting to go back, even seasons that we dissect plenty that, that we look over that we remember so fondly. As I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm looking at my wall. I've got a, a Clive Tilsley commentary chart of the 92-93 season. It's one of my favourites. But there's still that little bit at the start that, mm. that just seems to slip out the discussion. Well, that's what this show's for, I suppose. If David's here, Alan's here. How are we, Alan? Yeah, I'm really good, Martin. Uh, like David, looking forward to this one. Uh, just delighted to be back. Without doubt, this, I would say, is my favourite season uh, to watch Rangers. Uh, I think, as David said too, that the kind of start, I was used to, as you know, Martin, typically we were bad starters. And, and I think one of the reasons as well we'll get into was obviously the European Championships and what happens is a set of guys getting a break during the summer, they tend to go off and do tournaments and you'll find it typically starting, then it could have an impact. But yeah, right up until, I would say, probably the latter part of August, there was that, what's going on here, you know? And then from then on, it was just absolutely wonderful. As I say, without a doubt, the greatest season for me to watch, both domestically and obviously in Europe too. Yeah, I mean, full house here. It was it was a very special season. I've discussed this many times. First year as a season ticket holder, been going to games, but, but never... As, as regularly as that and we seemingly just got tickets for just about every away game and in Europe um, my dad and I and it was well it was, it was quite quite the thing um, first of all by the way thank you listeners for your um, attendance interaction engagement uh, last week in our, our, our live um, Zoom show David and I are always um, full of trepidation when we do these things um, the, the usual rule if we get more uh, listening that, that are on the, the, the panel then then super um, but it was it was fantastic um, we might do another one with a specific uh, topic in, in, in mind maybe uh, later on down the track but thank you very much for that Alan, you mentioned the, the, the European Championships. I want to start there, actually, um, because it is the kind of focal point of the, the, the Scottish football in summer 92, um, 500 miles east of Aberdeen in, in, in southern Sweden. Um, Scotland taking part in the European Championships for the first ever time. 
Uh, five Rangers players in the squad, um, Gorham, Goff, McCall, and of course McCoy's, uh, joined by uh, Dave McPherson, who had returned his time for Rangers before the, the, the tournament started from Hearts. Um, Ian Durant had been offered the opportunity to maybe go, but discussions with Smith felt it was best just to get a proper summer uh, under his belt. Uh, he wouldn't do himself justice, wasn't quite there yet, and I think it's probably fair to say we reaped the the, the rewards of that as, as this season would be uh, unfolding. All those five were in the start of 11. Um, they took, you know, they were a big part of proceedings. Only David Robertson, I think, could enjoy this kind of fine debut season, could feel maybe aggrieved at not making the squad at all. And <laughs> Davey, this, right, Scotland go out, and their usual style at the first uh, stage. Okay. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Um, getting there, by the way, was was an achievement. Um, there is, uh, you know, this was a, a European championship of, of just, what, eight teams. There's no Spain, there's no Italy, there's no Belgium, there's no Portugal. Denmark, who would win, get brought off, you know, the beach famously. Uh, Yugoslavia had to, to, to be replaced. Um and Scotland qualified ahead of Romania, Bulgaria and Switzerland in their qualifying group. Fast forward two years to the World Cup in 1984 just to see how how strong that you know those nations were. The draw was horrific. You've got the Holden, uh, you've got the holders at uh, Holland, you've got the World Cup winners, Germany as it is now, the, the first uh tournament under reunification. Uh, you have the effective runners-up of the, the, the tournament four years before, formerly USSR, now the Commonwealth of Independent States. Um, it's a real tough go. The, the Dutch game, Marco van Basten said, you know, that you dismissed Scotland has been all kick and rush. Um, 77 minutes, Scotland kind of kept them out. Dennis Bergkamp just been a bit too good. Scotland battled Germany. I mean, they had about 14 corners, but they Germany were just kind of ruthless um, up front. We've heard this story before. And then finally, a 3-0 win over the CIS. Really good um, performance. Um, there was no Costa Rica here. There's no Peru. Uh, there's no catastrophic defensive calamity. Um, uh, Rocks were talked about it being a kind of impossible challenge that they, they, they kind of that suited them. No sense of anxiety, said. We re, we relished the idea of playing those teams. We didn't like to have the territory in the ball to ourselves. We played our best off the tackle. Uh, he'd found for a brief moment, because this really won't happen again, a side with decent balance, good team spirit, tactically comfortable and being reactive to kind of better quality opponents. This would be a familiar theme for Walter Smith Rangers this season. Yes, yeah, certainly would. Uh, everything you said there is, is factual. Eight teams it was a different tournament back then. There were eight teams, two groups, and that meant it was very, very difficult to get to it because obviously there's there's a lot more than that. And you mentioned the names who didn't make it, and that wasn't unusual in the Euros. Uh, it was such a dog-eat-dog thing, and it was a much more open draw back then. You didn't have the, the rigid seeding that we now get um, to kind of prevent big countries not making it but uh, at the time I think that, that Rangers supporters relationship with the national team was a lot less complicated than it is now um, certainly for, for 15 year old David I was uh, a very big Scotland fan at the time and there was excitement about getting there because it had kind of become like a routine joke we get to the World Cup but we don't get to the Euros and that was a fact it just it never happened and then we got there there was no way to get a draw that wasn't difficult. There are eight teams. And when we saw our draw, Holland, Germany, you know, the, the reigning holders and the reigning World Cup holders, Christ. 
Um, so the the expectation level wasn't as big, and there wasn't that pressure that there was at World Cups where we were all desperate to get through, you know, because we'd been there so often. There was a novelty factor because we, we felt we'd achieve something just by getting there. Um, and you're absolutely right. Holland were just a bit too good for us. We did pretty well. It was very competitive. But in the end, they just had a wee bit too much skill. Andy Gorham with a fine match that day. Germany, Scotland played really, really well. I I wondered if it was actually a bit of belief, just that, you know, we don't we don't beat Germany. Um, I do wonder if there was a, a little bit of that. And you have to remember that respect that we all have, I think, in Britain for Germany in tournament football. Yeah, and Richard Goff had said, um, actually, Goff and McCoyce, they're all very, you know, no one expects, uh, expects us to win it. Uh, you know, let's keep everything kind of calmed down. Um, very prosaic about it. I, I get what you mean overall about the Germany game, but I go back to the, the point I made earlier. Scotland really did have a go. It was fearless. Yeah, it wasn't it was a good... kind of standoffish, oh, right, too much respect. It was just, like, they, they lacked the cutting edge. And what we're going to have to talk about tonight and over the next four weeks, weirdly, it's something we're going to have to revisit. We are right bang in the middle of Ali McCoy's golden period, these two seasons, where he can't stop scoring at home. He's anonymous. Starts the, 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 the games um, just marked out and easily marked out um, the, the, the tournament. Um, following on from that, the, the disappointment in Italy... We're going to talk when Rangers get to the Champions League again about McCoy's ability maybe to find space at that level is maybe something that uh, we will revisit. But it's so odd given just how hot he is. Uh, we're not talking about a purple patch, you know, over the winter and he's kind of tiring. Look how he finished that season. Look at those two goals um, away at Aberdeen, the final league game. He's just us. There's something there, David, at that level, and I'd like Alan on this as well. Well, it, fair enough. You, you can't dismiss it. The We also have to remember he's coming off a bad experience in 1990, which may have had an effect. But a manager who out and out destroyed his confidence or would have destroyed the confidence of an ordinary player. Uh, secondly, he's not playing with Mark Haley, and that's a huge factor. There's nothing wrong in saying that that's not a weakness on Ali's point. Of course, you know, good players play better when they've got better players with them and they had that that lethal partnership but Ali's international goal record for Scotland is very respectable so he and he was absolutely... huge in qualifying yeah he, he could both the World Cup here and, and this, this, this Euros it's... he could absolutely cut it I, I just in general Martin think that Scotland certainly by 92 and it's it's got worse over the years do have this complex of that we don't have high expectations I think it's a legacy of 78 I really do I think that we kind of expect bad things to happen to us. And there was definitely an air of, we're just happy to be here. Oh, we did quite well against the Dutch. Oh, we did quite well against the German. There wasn't loads of regret. There wasn't loads of, oh, if only we'd done this. Um, and then we went out into that CIS game and smashed them, absolutely smashed them three up in the first half. Even yeah. Brian McClare, who played 800 games for Scotland, and yes. I think he got his only goal. But the this is also yeah. not just an Ali McCoist thing. Let's look at some of the, the strikers Scotland have in the, the 80s. Andy Gray, Graham Sharp, Kenny Dalgleish, um, Mo Johnson, Charlie Nicholas, Frank McAvenny. Uh, Ali's record is as good, if not better, than all of theirs at, at 
you know, goals to games for Scotland. Scotland had a problem, and it was not just limited to this team. It was right the way through. Scotland always seemed to have a problem with scoring goals at, at international level, despite having guys who were playing. Level. Steve Archibald was playing at Barcelona yeah. for Christ's sake. At tournament level. Yeah, they they didn't have the they didn't have the players as you say up front. You know, you've got McCoy's, but and I know you, I know the point you're making, Martin, about no finding space. But then if you've got other people up front who are doing a bit of moving and so on, it creates it. If they're not doing uh, that, Jury and Gallagher are they're they're workers. They're I mean they mm. they do they did and they do move. Yeah, um, not, and you've got not, a, you've not got a workhorse midfield in there. You get McStay, McAllister. I think McClear dropped deep at times. You, you've got. Collins, you've got ball playing. They're, they're not this. They're not the same class as some of the, the players that Davy mentioned. The likes of the Dogoishis and so on, and even the likes of Charlie Nicholas, Mo Johnson, and so on. So I think the other thing you need to bear in mind too with this tournament, if you look even at Holland, you've got Cumin, Bergkamp, Pullet, Van Basten. You know some of the players that they've got. Uh, you know Van Nistel, Rijkaard, even Germany as well. You know you've got Thomas Asler. Effenberg, Andreas Moeller, Samer, Klinsmann, you know, they've got some absolutely cracking players. So I think it's a bit unfortunate that you're up against probably, obviously, two of the greatest sides anyway. And, you know, but no, I don't think it's just an alley one. I think it is more to do with a, certainly a Scotland middle to front, you know, that side of things. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, it will be something we revisit because he is going to fill his boots yet again, spoiler alert, uh, this season. Um, but in those six Champions League games, again, lifting the level up, uh, nothing. Now, Davy's original point, the Hately partnership, for a variety of reasons in, in those six Champions League games, is not going to be overused. I think it, it plays less than half of uh, the, the, the full, uh, the, the full complement. So that's that's a fair uh, a fair argument. And we will come back to it, I think, uh, as the season develops. Uh I've kind of said this in the live show. There should have been a kind of feel good factor, but it was a decent showing. Um, but it, you know, there, there wasn't. It was downbeat. I mentioned these odds. Rangers had kind of gone from these exciting favourites under the Soonest Revolution and something new, bringing it into the mix, to now foregone conclusion. Um, three to one on um, Aberdeen, who would be the, the closest challengers by a long shot in in, in this. Uh, this season, fourteen to one. Um, there's something structurally changed, and it's just—it's a nonsense outside the Rangers. Liam Brady, season preview. Listen to this. I said before the start of last season that we would win a trophy, and although we didn't, I am saying the same thing again this time. Um, we're almost in kind of pantomime territory here. It, it, it is clown car, toy town stuff. Um, Again, we've got the 44 game thing. It's Wordsley endurance and marathons. Everyone seems to be exhausted before a ball's kicked. Um, but, Davey, it's the summer of the proposed Scottish Super League breakaway. No doubt influenced by events early in 1992 um, down south. Um, this was led by Rangers Hearts, Celtic Aberdeen, Dundee United. Uh, we will get to... It's well, failure um, in in a couple of weeks, I think. But their 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 aims a structure more attractive than the existing Premier Division, something more competitive, improvement of facilities for spectators, and an increase in financial returns. Um, and the latter was projected at fifteen million pounds in the first three years by way of control and television. Clearly, the English model sponsorship, advertising, marketing, merchandise. Um, really, the clubs taking control. 
Uh, it was never <laughs> destined to be successful. Um, Scottish Football League had Rule 51, which they that any players belonging to the club that quits membership would automatically become the league's property and could be sold by them. Not to mention they need to get Jim Farry and the SFA kind of behind that that venture in order to be recognised as Scotland's representatives in, in European competition. Um, none of the plans would have a direct impact about the quality of the game. Still those four meetings a season, Davey. Um, the stadium criteria, it's it's the, the Taylor Report stuff, it's still a bit of a fantasy. Celtic are still miles away. They're still talking about Canvas Lang and their, their new £100 million dream home. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of there's a lot of good in that. There's a lot of practical benefit. The club should be running it. That's the lesson from England and marketing themselves properly and getting a good TV deal properly. But we're going to start talking about this Scotland-wide, but soon we're going to start talking about this Rangers over the coming months. The world's not really matching the reality of what was possible. No, because I think it was rushed. I think it was entirely based, as you say, on, oh, look at what England are doing. And I think that they just tried to take as much as they could from that without really looking at the differences and how they could apply it. And it got the conversation going, which will eventually lead to the SPL um, and eventually now to the SPFL. Uh, your, your own views on that are, I'm sure, <laughs> the listeners are not that different to mine. But it did lead to, to change eventually. It got the conversation started. So I suppose they could claim a little bit of success there. Um, yeah, that rule in particular, which incidentally is highly illegal, um, you can't claim to you can't just go and take assets from a company uh, it's just not legal uh but that was the kind of weird wee bowling club world scottish football was that we had these rules the tv deal this is the year that it gets blown apart that jim yeah. farry can stop yeah. an independent television channel from showing a football match that goes this year and what became clear over the next few seasons is a lot of these rules, Bosman rule will come in because we're still at a stage, by the way, where a club can hold your registration and stop you getting a move to another club, even if your contract's finished. We are coming to a stage where modernity hits football, not just in Scotland. Some leagues took to it better than others. Um, we had such entrenched, we still have entrenched power bases. But back then, you know, you, you would have guys from the Scottish Junior FA who had votes on things about you know like international football and about European football it was quite a bizarre little setup that hadn't evolved since the 1930s and eventually business interests and and I know that that's a bit of a theme of this program Martin I think that sometimes what happens in England takes a few years or London takes a few years to make its way up the road to Scotland and I think that this was a result of that sort of much more business-based 80s culture that, that came in London. It leads to the, the English Premiership. It then comes to Scotland where people say, no, I'm sorry, we're not prepared to see our, our businesses damaged by the fact that, that a little fat bloke who looks like an onion called Jim Farry doesn't <laughs> like it. And this is, this is, if you like, a really early sign of that. But, you know, this season, ITV driver coaching horses through Farry's rule, and he's left standing there complaining, holding a piece of paper saying, well, our rules say you can't, and ITV saying, and why do we give a toss about your rules, mate? You know, we've nothing to do with you. And that was exactly it. Now, that th- there was 
always going to be a fight. But I can just imagine if uh, the Scottish Football League had gone to court and said, we now own these the assets of this business, the yeah. judge would have burst out laughing and probably sent their lawyer to jail for contempt for wasting the court's time. But this was the world that we were up against. And it... it, it it's always going to be frustrating. We're sitting here in 2022 and we're fr- frustrated with the SPFL. And there is this sort of, I think, organisational, structural uh, incompetence that goes throughout Scottish football because I think it's been so long. We need a culture change. And that's a very difficult thing to do with an organisation that's been about for years because people have worked there for so long. Mm-hmm. And people, uh, it, it's kind of like the, the city council. You know, people always talk about needing to change it and it sounds easy and then you go in and there's so many entrenched power bases. That was what was happening here. But this, I think, mid-90s, we begin to, people start challenging things that were shibboleth. Um, you know, oh, we can't show a, tele, we can't show a football match because he's still in a playing Clyde. Uh, and then eventually people began to go, well, why can't we? John, John Mark Bosman would go to court and cost him his career but it would change football forever people began to challenge and i think that this is uh an early sign in scotland of that al yeah i i would think the the biggie for me as well was how slow things moved i think we go back a couple of years and we're obviously the top team you know anyway certainly we're ahead of england too and then things start changing but we're so slow as david said because of this bowling club come internal stuff so you've got things happening in Europe obviously you know in terms of kind of changes and so on you're getting England really getting its act together and we're just getting held by here and the other thing as well that that I think really scunners me too is even if we did get things moving a wee bit quicker in terms of the kind of league stuff and so on and who has the power you've then got different clubs you know, depending where they are in the stage. You know, Rangers are obviously further on. As you say, you've got Celtic still looking to try and get another. And all that we're doing is we're just harming ourselves so that ultimately when things do move on, the world's just moved on four or five paces. Yes. It's it's ridiculous. That is is spot on, Alan. And that is Scottish football in a nutshell. By the time we catch up to an idea, it's already already obsolete. And it happens to us at youth development level. You know, oh, you know, Spain's really trendy. No, Spain was trendy 10 years ago. We're we're actually three models along. You are spot on. This is always Scottish football. We always take so long to put an idea into practice that by the time we do it, it's obsolete. It's the dreadnought of of ideas and, and it happens time after time. And as soon as proved that when you do have a revolutionary, they're usually not shrinking violets by nature. And the new ideas, the new way of doing it, you need to treat players properly, you need to do this, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't, it just gets the hackles up. And as we saw, Rangers were in a war with the authorities pretty much from from um, day one of, of, of his arrival. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. One correction or one um, caveat there would have been the four times a season but with only eight teams because it was a proposal for just eight teams then it'd be a 28 league uh, season I think so um, not as much wear and tear I mean 44 games was just grueling it was it was absolutely horrendous um, we mentioned this or discussed this in the the live show last week but you know the the nation's economy was no no more booming than Scottish footballs. The, there's a recession on, 
Um, and that means that some of the ambition that some of those clubs had shown in, in response to the Soonest Revolution was now contracting or having to contract or starting to slow down. Price Waterhouse had a, a report in Scottish football said only Aberdeen and Dundee United were living within their means. Some clubs living well outside Rangers were, but could cope with it because the, the commercial revenue could service that debt. Absolutely no problem at all. Um, what, what an interesting thing on that first day of the season, uh, this... I mean, a change in, in, in tone um, from the support um, who had enjoyed all this kind of splashing the cash and uh, the club being on the up and, and, and you know, that, that kind of loads of money, Harry Enfield caricature. Um, on the, the first day of the season, Rangers paraded 24 top-of-the-range Volkswagens and Audis, um, supplied by the new director, Ian Scale. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, but some felt that, you know, when... Unemployment's rising, the economy's shrinking. Such a blatant display of wealth, Alan. Um, you've rubbed some people up the wrong way and started to get a feeling that you know this match-going experience is is really, really changing for me. It did. It certainly made us, I don't know, I mean, we, we laughed at that loads of money, you know, and how well we were doing at the time and all the English signings. But as you say, there, there tend to be a kind of, I don't know, a kind of undertone or a sort of feeling within the fans of, this whole, they're not really treating us kind of like customers now. The, I think you mentioned in the live one as well about David Murray talking about people complaining about prices of tickets and so on. But yes, yeah. There just seemed to be more of a distance. And I've always talked about, you know, the board, the, the actual players in the park and the fans all being together. Just felt some cracks. Obviously, during this season, it will be great as we go through, but there definitely did seem to, and I don't know, David, if that's even, you know, the kind of, where you guys were further on with the RST or, you know, some of the stuff that was going on. But even myself, who, you know, was usually right behind the board and so on, and some of the guys in the bus, we were like, hold on a minute, we're not really getting treated, you know, properly. Or they, they don't seem to appreciate us. We've been through a lot of pain with them way in the past and so on. Now it seems to be they've got to this stage now and it's like, heck well, if they don't like it, there'll be other people who come and, you know. Yeah. Mm. Now, David, always... David, sorry, David. Sorry, um, Ian Skelly is on the board. Mm. Walter Smith now takes his place on the board. Um, something obviously Graham Souness had done before. This is more the traditional Rangers manager having his place on the board um, that, that that has has been in place before. One departure was Hugh Adam. Big falling out with Murray. Um, he would be the correct prophet of doom years later. Um, Alan's talking about cracks there. We will forget about those cracks very quickly as the months. Um, we're on in this season, uh, but perhaps, perhaps there's your start. I don't think you can ever uh, underestimate the power of reflected glory, and I think that was what this was intended to be. Also, advertising um, for Ian Skelly. Oh, you know, look, the, the players have these motors. You too can have this motor if you come to Ian mm -hmm. Skelly. But yeah. we. We couldn't of those. That was the point. You know, we were spending a lot of money, more money than we spent previously. You know, ticket prices aren't quite at the, the you know, the falling out level that will come through the the Champions League campaigns. But there was a sense that it was vulgar, and it wasn't purely. Uh, I think you know rabble rousers because there weren't many rabble rousers at this period. You know, there there, there weren't. You know, critiques you had the Rangers Supporters Association and, and they were tickets and parking guys and, and proudly so. Yeah. So I, I remember, yeah, certainly, you know, I'm, I'm what, 14, summer of 1992 and I'm 
reading, you know, I'm reading all the books that you're supposed to, I'm getting into the Velvet Underground, you know, uh, uh, but, uh, and I, I remember being, on the one hand, the type that would wave a tenor at opposition fans, you know, oh, we've so much money, but then on the other hand, thinking, you know, I wish we could buy a motor, you know, and, and it, it, there was that sense of they're just going away from us now, they'll just move into a place. And you would start to get these groans about it, it's not about how loyal you are, it's about how much money you can spend, which is an eternal one. Um, I think it's true, but yeah. I don't think under any circumstances, you know, by all means advertise, but, you know, a, a marketing person would come in and go basically rubbing their face and, you know, the stuff you've got that they don't is probably a bad idea with your customer base. So, there was definitely a change happening and Rangers were sprinting off to it. And for, and it was tough. We were conflicted, I suppose, is the word I'm looking for. Because on the one hand, we loved that. We loved, you know, we're kings of the hill. We are rich, even if we as individuals aren't. Our club are rich. But I think that this then actually has a bit of a, a negative practical effect, which is opposition clubs charging us ridiculous money for away tickets it doesn't matter if you're a rangers fan or a an albion rovers fan if you work in the same factory and you make the same money then it doesn't matter that you support rangers who've got millions and you support albion rovers who don't and that became a thing it was all right to charge rangers fans extra because rangers had loads of money yeah but i didn't and that i think was a negative effect of it that on the one hand, we sort of enjoyed that. And on the other hand, you were a little bit uncomfortable, I think. Any reflections on the Hugh Adam departure and the way that it was done? Yeah, Hugh Adam was a decent guy. Um, and he completely fell out with Murray the way that Murray was running it. Uh, again, coming from, I think it's fair to say, and Martin, you've done more research on this than me, a more collegiate um, way of doing things. Yeah. And Murray... Murray does not have a collegiate way of doing things. Corporate uh, governance, I think, is probably even at the yeah, least. Yeah, I well, I'll, I'll give you an example of the way that, that Murray, Mark, and I, uh, Mark Dingwall, we had a meeting with Murray in the Charlotte Square office, and he brought a guy in who was the financial director of Murray International Metals. Now that's quite a big post, isn't it? Financial director, mm. and at one point he says, "Away and get the boys a cup of tea." You know, just in front of us to the financial director. Yeah, yeah. And me and Mark are kind of like, the guy's face just drops. And it was, that was David Murray. He was the king of whichever room and empire he was in. It was that simple. And if you wanted to go along with it, then you had to, to get on board with it. And Hugh Adam didn't. And because of that, he was able to, to get about distance and take a critical look at Murray which, unfortunately, it was easy to dismiss as sour grapes, but the the problem was is it well, maybe it was based from sour grapes, but the problem was it was also accurate sour grapes, um, as we would see. But yeah, Murray was, you know, this this was his show, um, and I think someone actually mentioned to me the famous phrase about if they put down a fiver, he didn't say we'll put down a tenner. He says I'll put down a tenner. That I think is a huge insight into him. Yeah, he didn't. Um, but that's for later on in this series, I think uh, it's probably fair to say. Um, so, yeah, Scottish football full of clouds, very different to the, the, the 
the clear blue skies that were opening up perhaps down south. But Watersmith, not overly concerned. Um, this was a summer of tinkering rather than flashing new faces. It was bringing players back, really. Um, Dave McPherson made sense. He had had a good season with Hearts under the UEFA restrictions, which were tightening now. It gone from four foreigners to three. This made, yeah, as I said, perfect sense. And he, he was fine uh, in, in the Euros as well. Um, we'd brought in Ali Maxwell uh, late on, actually, in 91-92 uh, um, as cover for, for, for Gorham. Again, we don't know what comes next, but, but Maxwell had he was still a hero after that that 91 Scottish Cup final. And uh, again, uh, as a backup, it was a, a move that, that, that kind of made sense. He was happy to let um, John Spencer and Paul Rideout go for, I think, a million quid. Um, again, Rangers did... O- over tens- a million, mate. Um, 500,000 for Rideout and 600,000. Yeah, it showed you the Rangers could still... He still gets some some cash back for players. Uh, it left McCoy and Hately a bit exposed, but Smith was a little stung by that question. And he said, "Well, I've got Gary McSwiggin. I'm quite content to use him. I'm, I'm kind of damned if I do, damned if I don't here, because you know people are complaining about not letting young players get their time." Um, but he says, "You know, I hope that, that you know the necessity of us having to buy backup players from England at five hundred pound a pop has gone." Um, Smith still believed that something was lacking in midfield, uh, a ball player rather than the kind of boundless energy that he had, uh, someone to replace the gap left by Trevor Stephen the previous summer, ideally Trevor Stephen, um, which made was made possible. He had not enjoyed his year in Provence, it's probably fair to say, and the feeling was mutual. Uh, Marcy hadn't actually completed payment for the original fee. Rangers thought they you know, were in a good position to do business. Uh, Tappy tried to, to play the game, I suppose. Uh, Marcy wanted $3 million, Leeds United. English champions at the time were happy to pay, but Trevor Stephen wasn't interested. He was digging in for a move back to Ibrooks. He was putting the reserves, and, and Tappy said, "You know, absolutely no chance would would he feature for for Marseille in the friendly at Ibrooks the, the coming Tuesday." But it was all bluster. And on the Friday evening, two point four million was enough to bring Stephen back. Um, Alan, the, the summer had started with rumours of of Lothar Mateus coming. Genuine links. I think Murray kind of confirmed that. Um, Two, I would have said the Scottish Sun was actually boycotted by Celtic fans uh, for suggesting that we're going to buy Paul <laughs> Um But two returning players, was there a sense, I mean, given the summers that we've had, right? Um, you know, the, the, quite a lot of money spent, Mikhail Achenko and, and, you know, um, Stuart McCall coming from England and um, Hayley Kuznetsov, Morris Johnston, Gary Stevens, Trevor Stevens, to have... Uh, we've, we've seen these guys, this isn't quite as, as shiny? Or was there a, a sense, especially with Stephen, that, oh, it's good to have him back? Trevor Stephen, obviously, was a great one to get back. I mean, I think most Rangers fans love Trevor Stephen, you know, such a quality player. And at the time when he went away, it's a bit like nowadays, It's the, the money seemed to be, we can't really refuse it. You know, it was such a great kind of financial, you know, deal for us at the time. So that one was, I think David McPherson... It was cover. It didn't make sense in that he could cover either at centre half or probably right back. Right back. He could even do a wee bit maybe in midfield. But it was obviously a in terms of quality compared to Gary Stevens and so on. But uh, it was fine in terms of a. I don't know. I mean, I I remember him coming through even as a young laddie and so on. So it was okay, but it, it wasn't something that you know we were all excited about. I thought it was interesting the comment that Walter made as well about the 
you know, spending 500,000 quid as a kind of cover. And the fact, if you look at it then with the Trevor Stephen one, it's not even really an outlay. It's more a case of they haven't given us all that they should have now. Do you know what I mean? I don't even know then with Walter Smith whether there was maybe a wee bit more of a squeeze in terms of, you know, what he had to play with there. Because in effect, they've not really spent too much, have they, compared to obviously some of the previous seasons. Obviously, things will change going down, you know. But from our point of view, I mean, we were really positive with the squad that we had anyway that finished the season before. And as you say, in terms of over the, the piece, I don't think there was any real worry, you know, in terms of the league and so on. Trevor Stephen, brilliant, that's good to get him back. And as I say, uh, Big Davy McPherson more just as a squad. I was a wee bit worried as well about, I know he mentioned the Gary McSwiggan one, but I just always feel having just the two of them, you know, like Caitlin McCoyce and the number of games you've got to play and so on, you can suddenly lose one of your main strikers, as we'll see, and then we have to change and move the deck chairs about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting, you say it's a very quiet summer, you know. Just under four million pounds in in ninety. <laughs> I know, but, but relative, it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah. Um, David, there was nothing in Paul McStay coming to Ibrox that that summer. That, <laughs> that that was nonsense. No, I am led to believe though a few years ago that was at least looked into by Graham Soonest, but certainly by this point, absolutely not. The talk was, of course, he'd you know he'd, he'd, at the end of that ninety one ninety two season, he'd gone to the jungle, he'd thrown his top in. It was an emotional oh, goodbye, right. just as he was going to go and just count the offers from Serie A and and, and England. Uh, you know, I think it was only Everton that came in with an actual offer, uh, and all of a sudden he he's staying. Now this produced mixed feelings at Parkhead because you know McStay was loved. I think Liam Brady was kind of banking on being able to spend that transfer income around the team. In the end, he would spend £1.7 on the Albanian defender Rudy Vata and the West Ham forward Stuart Slater, the latter of whom would score three goals. Uh, it was just yet another episode in the farce that was kind of ongoing over there. Yeah, the, they later tried to spin it that, that McStay hadn't been saying his goodbyes and he'd always oh, intended yeah. to stay and that actually Liverpool were interested in him. Um, none of which were true, unfortunately. Yeah, he, he was leaving. And I think there was a feeling from their fans that it was kind of time, you know, great servant, support of the club. But it was time for him to go and, as you say, refresh the team a little. And then that doesn't happen. And I think if you look at McStay's later career, there is a sort of sense of... <laughs> I'm here forever, <laughs> you know, um, and his performances, you know, there would be good ones and those particularly painful one when I think they beat his 2-0 at Ibrox and he got a goal. But overall, I think there was this sense of regret that, that almost emanated from him that he hadn't had the opportunity because the, there had been a lot of talk. I think Udinese were were really quoted in the Scottish papers at the time. And as I say, the Liverpool link was made and Arsenal can you imagine him playing in a George Graham team, by the way? That would have been... Oh, geez, uh, yeah, I mean, just bollocks. <laughs> um, so he doesn't go, and then they, they have to bring in players. Slater was a very weird one even then, because it looked a lot of money for a guy who hadn't massively impressed um, down south. He'd, he'd been all right, but, you know, a million quid was a lot of money back then. Mm. Uh, or I think it was closer to a million and a half, actually. Um, and it was an awful lot of money to when you don't have a big budget and you've got a lot of holes in your team. I always knew back then 
when Celtic were a wee bit worried about what they had because the stories would start coming. They would get, you know, the quality street kids and we'd start hearing about, it was always the next, you know, we've got Simon Donnell, he's the next Kenny Dalglish. We've got Brian McLaughlin, he's the next Jimmy Johnston. Whenever Baggio they, and all that, wasn't it? it was right, one, yeah. whenever they, uh, Gar Baggio, whenever they, whenever they, they started to tell us about their youth teams, um, and you heard more about players in their youth team in the papers than you heard about the guys in their first team. That was generally a sign that they weren't going to do much. But Slater's a big sign, but they just get disastrously wrong. And that's the thing about when you don't have much money, and we've been through this in the last few years, you do spend some, and they did spend some, but it's kind of like reminiscent for, for younger bears, it's sort of like Joey Garner. You know, when you spend a decent yeah. amount on a player... You need but to do it they, wisely rather than just... They yeah, need yeah. to be a success, absolutely. And if you look at Celtic's players throughout this era, you know, Cascarino famously, but also, you know, Slater, Hayes, slightly before that, whenever they brought a big player in, possibly because of the pressure and possibly because of each succeeding failure, the pressure on them was absolutely enormous. But uh, I, I certainly had zero worries whatsoever about Celtic. I think, at that, yeah, I think at that time too, David, it was interesting because I think as Martin mentioned, if even during the soonest time, if we had someone that didn't quite work out, we tended to be able to sell them and maybe even make a wee bit quickly, on them. Yeah. But as you say, Celtic have got very little to play with. They use it, the guy flops. They're not going to be able to... No. Do you know oh, what I mean? The, this, the yeah. losses they took. I mean, they got a wee bit lucky, I think, in terms of they swapped Cascarino for Tom Boyd, who mm-hmm. did a job for them for a few seasons. But Hayes, they ended up taking, I think, a 600 grand loss on. Slater, they they took a bath on. I mean, he just, you know, the, yeah, he had yeah. no resale value by the time he left. So you're absolutely right. Uh, in terms of our signings, Martin, that, that you know, you mentioned, uh, I, I must admit, and again, you know, I'm, I was 15 and wouldn't claim to know the world, but I, I was actually very disappointed. I did think, hmm, by the way, I've seen this before. Yeah. Not, not so much back, it's a backward step. I didn't think that. I thought, you know, I, I, I love Trevor Stephen. Mm-hmm. I thought McPherson was a donkey. Um, I thought he was a donkey the first the, time. You know, pick your club kind of thing. Yeah, you pick one you're going. I, I, and again, you know, you and I have talked about this, Graham Souness, who was the, the our tribal leader. Um I I I thought McPherson was a, a donkey. Um and when, I couldn't believe we were getting him. I get the Scottish thing, I really do, and he was you know he was fine. Um but I I, I couldn't see it at all. Stephen good, but there was just a sense of hmm and then I was actually a wee bit disappointed that and this probably says a lot about where we were. I was quite disappointed. And again, I'm a shallow and callow youth folks. So please forgive me for this. But I I remember being McSwegan. We're playing McSwegan. Who the, who the hell is McSwegan? And and that was that that's the age I am. I've grown up where we just go out and buy somebody. So we're, I'm going to play Gary McSwegan. Why are you going to play Gary McSwegan? Go and buy somebody. Somebody good. Somebody I've heard of. Basically, I can, I can I can almost hear John Cowden over in Athens talking about when we used to bring players through at 17, 18 year old and so on. Eh? They would turn into legends. But as you say, totally different time now, isn't it? You know. All I've grown up with, Alan, is go and sign somebody, even if it's ah, just a guy, a guy from Scottish football for you know three, four hundred grand. Go go and pick somebody up. You want you to know? see a picture? 
whether they've got the, the strip on or they're, they're, they're waving a scarf. And that, that that's yes. pretty much that's how we want to spend our summers. We had pictures of Trevor Stephen and Dave McPherson doing that. <laughs> we didn't really need new ones. Um, conscious of time, so we'll, we'll need to kind of pick up the pace. Rangers pace in the pre-season friendly, David, the pre-season friendly, I guess the, 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 the key one, uh, was home to Marseille. <laughs> Um, the Marseille okay. manager, the Marseille manager, John Fernandez, Marseille won two one. They were it was, a, it was an exhibition. Hately got Shoot, shitty, I knew, wasn't it really? It yeah. really was. Two two in a minute. Rudy Vord did the show, and and Hately got a penalty late on. Uh, John Fernandez was the manager. He, he, he top down their, their chances of winning the, the, the first Champions League. They were top seeds. Um, but he, he was pretty sure about the fate of Rangers. Uh, I don't really think they can do well in Europe, he said. Um, by the time Marseille came back, uh, Fernandez would not be in charge. Uh, Trevor Stephen played. He, he got a knock. He, he shouldn't have played. He wasn't registered. Rangers thought he had and just kind of played him anyway. Jim Farry threatened serious grave action um, for this uh, administrative oversight, but nothing happened. Um, Durant and Miko were on the bench. They never really got used. It was probably a wee bit too early to judge, but we did anyway, David. And uh, <laughs> Rangers were seeded ninth in that draw. We were paired with the Danish champions, Lingby, in the first round of the European Cup. Now, listeners, that might not sound that daunting, and, and I guess it wasn't, but Denmark had won... The European Championships, Rangers were dreadful in Europe, let's be honest. Um, uh, really, that's just three years in a row where they haven't, you know, gone past the second round. There was a fair bit of trepidation that this would be another banana skin here. Um, and that Marseille friendly did not do those nails um, any good. I think there's an interesting point. Alan referred to it earlier, and it's maybe something that we should dig down on, was Rangers' constant bad starts in this period. Um, I don't think I'm being offside to say that our training wasn't structured right, because we came... I I get Alan's point earlier about we did players on international duty, but we were gishing off years as well. We'd come back and it took us... Now, the counter to that was we were very good at putting the foot down through the, the winter. And yes, just yeah. just peeling away from people, but uh, you couldn't even say it was this modern thing of well, we want them to have some some gas in the tank at the end of the season because on the the video for ninety two ninety three, Ali McCoyst is saying, oh, we had nothing left, you know, me and the boys were to the the cup final. I was that to Big Mark, and Big Mark says, no, I've nothing left. So it wasn't that; it was just a sluggish start. Uh, Marcy took us apart. It was exhibition, as the word. I mean, oh my God, that penalty was sheer sympathy from the referee <laughs> he's like there's a lot of people paid money to come here today so i'll give you a i'll give you a go um lingby yeah i i thought we should beat them and we should have beat them um but I, I've, I've got prague just sitting in my mind and i hadn't really seen rangers have success in europe bar that one eighty-seven, eighty-eight. i haven't seen it yet at this stage of my Rangers supporting career so mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I was nervous uh and this newfangled champions league thing that they spoke of where you'd get six matches and you know i, I really desperately wanted to be a part of it you're in it till april right i mean it's it's such a game changer um but but yeah it, it was it was certainly no gimme, uh, that, that's fair to say, but it was an open draw, so you know we could have got Marseille. So uh, that, that, that was uh, that, that would not have been particularly pleasant. Um, 
Yeah, in terms of starts, 889, that, that's the one that, that sticks out because it was an absolute clear the decks last season was a disaster. We're going to Italy and you're going to run your fucking lungs off. And and that's that's basically what happened. The Rangers were in turbo. We were not in turbo at the start of 92-93, uh, which was starting early 1st of August, which felt very early, by the way. I know that's the norm now. Wasn't then. Nine domestic games in August, and there's a lot of rustiness. Uh, opening fixtures were pretty benign, but it didn't seem to matter. Rangers still kind of struggle along. Um, it should be. I have to say this. We're going to get a big discussion about it. Celtics opening fixtures weren't quite as benign. They had Celtic. They went uh, away to Hearts and Aberdeen in their first two games away, and the Celtic view, not... Not the view, not a fanzine, the Celtic view, the official newspaper, used its front page to highlight the perceived lack of fairness by by printing Celtic's first four league games and then Rangers' first four league games. Yes, um, so, so there we are, things clearly not well. Um, St Johnston uh, and, and beaten Cup Finals Airdrie from, from the, the last season, they came to Ibrox in the first two games, they set that defensive stall out, we would see it many times after that. We took full points, 1-0, 2-0, but it was dull, boring stuff, wasn't going to get much better Easter Road, attritional, bad temper, 0-0 draw. And if Rangers were set to endure stalemates, uh, McCoy said after the opening day that it was unlikely to see Rangers score as many goals in this campaign as the previous one. Ray were given the shock of their lives at Den Park on the 15th of August. Um, Simon Stainroyd, this eccentric figure, seemingly inspired by Malcolm Allison more than anyone else, uh, took a very different approach to the visit of the champions. Um, they were ahead four times in a ridiculous game of serve and volley, and Rangers couldn't equalise for a fourth time, and it marked the first defeat of the season after only two weeks. It would be seven months before that happened again, but we did not know that, Alan, and... Uh, no. If the fans around the open line and, and hot lines, whatever, uh, believe that, you know, looking at that defensive display, um, why is McPherson back? He's rubbish. Um, Gor- uh, Maxwell played that day because Gorham had a slight strain. Really? Is he going to be a replacement for Gorham when we need him? And more importantly, if he was fit, why is Ian not starting? Because he was on the bench again. Um, that That Saturday afternoon was utterly insane. Yeah, I mean, we, I remember going back down the road and as you say, there was, there was that whole, there was always in the back, there's so many games to catch up and as David said, through the winter period, so there was, and if you go back even through the 70s, honestly, the number of times we started a season absolutely hopeless, you know, I, I don't know as well, David, you mentioned that about kind of looking, obviously on another show about this start thing, I don't know as well about the attitude as well of some of the players too. I mean, we've we've sort of won the double. We've done the Scottish Cup. Obviously, they've got the kind of break. The fans too. I don't know whether just as we start the season, there's this whole kind of we're going through the motions. As you say, we won one nil, two nil. I think we drew Easter Road as well, didn't we? Obviously, we got to Dundee, and then ultimately you'll get to the Aberdeen one. But but I don't know. I don't know whether there's a mentality thing as well. Not just the whole maybe not getting them up to shape. I just sometimes wonder if we were getting a wee bit too big for our boots and we needed some rocket up our backside yeah. to really focus and reset. Yeah. Well, I go back to that season preview. It is over. It's a foregone conclusion. Rangers mm-hmm. will Rangers mm-hmm. will last the 44 games far easier than anyone else. They, they, there might be some upsets. We don't. You don't need to start the house on fire. There's no There's no competition. No, um, David, doesn't it's, it's apogee the following season. Yeah, well, well, yeah, yes, I, I, for a whole season yeah. and, for a whole and season more. of it because we we can go at 60%. We'll be yeah, an absolute slippers on. Um, the, the Durant question, Dave, was more acute the following weekend, uh, although the mood's slightly better. Celtic came to Ibrox, they were a point
1-1 draw. I think that's probably fair to say. Rangers should have been ahead early in the match. Trevor Stephen goal ruled offside despite Celtic defenders being stood inside the box as Hately flicked mm. the ball and for Stephen to run from outside of it. Um, that didn't make the front page or any page of the Celtic view. Um, the visitors with a better side for much of that first hour deserved to take the lead, but it was a bit of a freaky goal to be honest from Jerry Craney but they were unsure they were insecure with that lead what do we do and Gerrant come on and Rangers just hunted them down uh you know moving from space finished with super power and you know Smith's kind of reticence or uh, reticence sorry to, to expose Gerrant too much too soon was understandable but with the pressure building you know you kind of had to trust him with a, with a more permanent role uh if we'd lost that game David Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. the attitude would have been murderous. Um, yeah, I remember the Dundee defeat, as you say, being met with apoplexy. You know, not not just the fact we'd lost, but the way we'd lost. I think people assumed if we were going to lose, it'd be, you know, a heroic defensive display. 2-1 or 1-0 or something like that. 1-0, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. Some, a goal, a nick a goal and then sit on it. Um, the team just came out and out, outplayed us in a football match. Um and as Alan mentioned there, our guys looked a little surprised that somebody was daring <laughs> to yeah, come yeah. out and play football against them. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, this goal, it's up there with the Davy Robertson, uh, the, the yeah, yeah. goal in the, the three each. But you never hear of it because we're not insane. Uh, but you couldn't argue the, your description there of Celtic being the better team for the first hour is absolutely true. Probably the worst thing that happened to them was scoring. Yeah. Because after they scored, they were mm-hmm. they got overexcited and they didn't know should we should we stick or should we twist. And in the end, they did neither. Really, they did the kind of halfway house and Rangers were able to get back into it. Duran, I understand on a human level Walter's reticence. Yeah. Incidentally, because such a precious thing. And there's going to be that overprotective nature. It speaks a lot for Walter Smith as a man that he was like that. You mentioned there, but when times were tough, you know, Durant would come in. And isn't that the case for the next five years? <laughs> that, you know, even going up to that game that we, you know, the, the old firm game to really win nine in a row, he's there. It, it, yeah. Wherever you needed him in a big match. And we've discussed this before that, I think that he's a first example of us as fans needing to remember that these guys are not two-dimensional mm-hmm. yeah. you know, characters, that they're human beings. We had it in our head, he's fit now. End of story. Right, you know, he wasn't fit and now he, it was a binary thing. And now he can play every game because that's what footballers do. And we now, thankfully, know a bit later on that that isn't the case. Footballers' bodies need managed. And he was an example of that, of he couldn't play it. Or he could have. You know, physically, he could have played every week, but he could not have gave of his best if he'd played every week. And what he did magnificently throughout the rest of his career was say, right, I can't be, you know, 100% Ian Durant at my zenith game in, game out. So I'll make sure when yeah. it happens, it's when it really, really matters. This season, by the way, is an absolutely perfect example. Look at the amount of big moments, yeah. big games he's involved in. David, I just think uh, we didn't understand sorry. it. That's I, okay. I just don't think we did get it back no, then. No, I think, see what you said, I had taken a wee note to bring this one up as well. During this season, he'll actually play 25 domestic games from the start, 13 as a sub but obviously in Europe as well, he'll play nine of them 
since like 34 plus 13, and as you see all the way through it, I've just got the picture of him with this great Adidas, you know, strip and weed yep. you know, whether it's the Marseille goal or the, as you say, the Celtic one, doing uh, doing Leeds games or whatever. But the Scottish thing about, Cup final, you know, he's, aye, he's, aye. he's playing off Big Haley and, and, and brilliantly play. I uh, mean, a, a role we hadn't seen, I think, in Scotland very often. And he showed his, so, his intelligence as well, because when he got that injury, he wasn't going to be able to play that way he did. But my God, the guy could play deep in midfield. He could still, it. as you say, he could actually play up at the front with Big Haley. But just such an intelligent, and he said as well, I think if you look at the video in Europe as well, he said, that's even better, he says, because I got a wee bit more time and yeah. I can put passes. And, and it, it was just wonderful, wasn't it? Well, yeah. he, he goes, you know, and this is a few years hence, but 98, he goes to Kilmarnock and he's one of the best players in the Scottish Premier League because right. the games aren't played at the mental pace every week that a mm. Rangers match is. And he would, as you say, he goes from being primarily known as an attacking midfielder, he goes and basically quarterbacks for them for a couple of years and he's oh. magnificent. He had a football brain that was so far in advance, not only in terms of what he could do on a pitch, but knowing how to get the best out of the resources that he had been um, left with after the injury. So I think Walter actually husbands him pretty well throughout mm-hmm. this season. I think, as you say, he 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 gets when we need an Ian Durant in there. But this is not, Martin, something that's just going to be stuck to this month and then goes away. I remember, I remember watching the the McCall Ferguson midfield. Two players I love, by the way, but it was, again, for younger listeners, the the Jagadu midfield, right? We, we were all going, why why we get two defensive midfielders in there? We don't need that. Play Ian Durant. So for the whole of his career <laughs> um, after this, we never really got, but I do wonder if part of that was nobody ever really explained stuff like this to us. She just didn't. You just didn't get that. It wasn't mm-hmm. the done thing. No. You know, you got pictures of footballers in the papers dressed up as, you know, hot dogs um, for some promotion or, uh, you know, like wearing funny hats and stuff. Nobody ever went, <laughs> Walter, why does Ian Durant not play, but he plays the big games? And Walter could have said, well, actually, you know, we can't play him every or we could, but, he, you know, yeah. nobody mm-hmm. did that. It didn't really happen. So for the next five years, I remember so often being in Ibrox going, Bring Gerard on. Why are we playing NATO? And it just was an ongoing thing that now, 30 years later, I look back and go, obviously, that, David, yeah. yeah, he couldn't do it every week. But my God, see when, see when Ian Durant was set a task, um, <laughs> few better at achieving yeah. it. Rangers had helped themselves to 10 goals in the first two rounds of the Skull League Cup, away to Dumbarton and Stranraer, but the quarter-final trip to Tannadice was a lot closer. They needed a Peter Hustra win on extra time to edge Rangers through to the last four after an entertaining but tense 3-2 win. Uh, Mark Haitley missed that trip following a knock against Celtic, and he would miss the visit of Aberdeen on Saturday 29th of August, where for 45 minutes it looked like more of the same stodgy and insipid league form. Until, of course that half-time dressing room fight, and Walter Smith's team talk. Yelchenko again, Aberdeen closing everyone down. It's going to take something special to open them up, and so far Rangers showing no signs of doing that. Now the fans getting more behind them. John Brown still well forward, chess it down to Durant. Yelchenko, Durant... Surely now that will lift Rangers out of their lethargy. At last, a piece of magic 
Mikhailichenko was involved with Durant. Durant coming forward there, played it to the Ukrainian. It was laid off to him. And a lovely shot there, right into the corner of the net, giving Schnellders no chance. Durant is the hero of Ibrox for the second week running. Derailed by McPherson. Now it's Durant. Good ball through to Ali McCoyst, who's onside. McCoyst! afternoon for the referee it's Mikhailichenko and that puts it beyond doubt a magnificent strike by Alexei Mikhailichenko he thundered that ball beyond Fiersnelders and that's three excellent second half goals by Rangers it was McPherson who played it right across the face of the penalty area it was partially cleared by Irvin and drilled home by Alexei Mikhailichenko. Right, it wasn't just all blood and snorters. Get your fingers out. There was a tactical mm -hmm. switch. I think Hustra and Miko swapped flanks. Ian Durant, who we've just been speaking about, pushes further forward. Mm -hmm. Davey, you and I... If I, I'll go to Alan, because Davey, you and I have spoken about this umpteen time, this, this game... I'm, what, 11 years old. I've, I've been to Rangers games before. I've enjoyed many of them. I was thrilled. I mean, I, there's something so boyish and childlike about this, but, but it, it genuinely was that. Uh, I was talking about it all night. It was in Scott Sports. You had to wait the 24 hours to see it again. Uh, it was just a different Rangers team. It, it, they were on fire. The, the goal, all three of them were superb. Uh, it Everything came alive and wouldn't stop really for about six months. But it's funny how entire seasons can can just flip like that because I was blown away and I, I don't think I was the only one. It was like a switch, Martin. Someone had just flicked a switch. Obviously, this had happened in the dressing room. What I loved about it as well is when you see Ali McCoy, he said uh, uh, the manager told us in no, or the gaffer told us in no uncertain terms. Walter just had a wee smile and said, yeah, we asked them at half-time to raise their game, you know, so you can imagine what's going on. But as you say, the minute they came back out there, suddenly the noise, and then the way Rangers, once we get the first goal, uh, which was tucked away really nicely, and then Ali got one, I think, to make it two, didn't they? And then was it Miko at the end? Yeah, but, Miko, outside. But, but it was absolutely just blew them away. And as you say, from then on, it was just as if, right, this is 92-93 season, just watch us go now. Here we go. One of the interesting things, I think, is again, that game might have gone differently had Rangers not been quite as poor in the first yeah. half. Can you imagine mm -hmm. if, if it had been close and Aberdeen were 1-0 up, Aberdeen might have held on, believe it or not, for a 1-0 victory. You know, they could have, or 1-2-1. Whereas, I think that Rangers were so bad in that first. Talk about the old cliche, a game of two halves. You yeah. honestly, folks, you've never, if you didn't see this, you've never seen anything like it. Rangers were inept 
in the first half. They couldn't get anything going. Passes were being misplaced. And they were doing the thing that you referred to at the start, Martin. It wasn't just the Gorham incident was the most um, obvious. But there was plenty of hands being thrown up in the air about you didn't run for it or yeah, you've overhit yeah. that. There was a lot of that going on. Um, and then they came out the second half. And, and again, as... as as Alan says, there's the eyebrows roar. You know, we've all heard this Rangers down at half time and getting it. But then when it becomes symbiotic, when when you see the improvement, which there was almost immediately visibly, then the crowd get more into it, and suddenly it's a completely different game. We get the goal, and then there's only one winner. Um, but it, it is interesting that they they sort of needed to hit that that real low. You know, mm-hmm. they. they Maybe maybe it lands the boil, I don't know. Maybe it could have petered on for a few more weeks like this. Whereas instead, the fact that they were so shockingly bad, I think shocking to themselves, more that, you know, is, how are we doing? You know, why are we doing this? That something just changed and they just didn't know. And we go back to what we just talked about, the starts of the season, the complacency. Finally, the pilot light was lit. Sorry, for all that doom and gloom and all that, oh, 44 games and Scottish football the way it is, it was fun again. That that, that 45 minutes was just joy. See see the crowd as well, Martin. It's that one where all the four stands, isn't it? As David said, there's this suddenly, you're going down, oh, you bloody think so. And then suddenly it starts. And before you know it, the singing goes all the way around, which I just think is wonderful at Ibrooks. And again, the impact that has on the opposition as well. They're like, Jeez, you know, it was like two different games. Eh? Yeah. And it's a big game, and the Aberdeen have a healthy contingent there. And suddenly, mm-hmm. Ibrox is a cauldron. And goodness, we only need to look at season 20, uh, 21, 22 to know the difference it can make. And uh, the football suddenly was exactly what Rangers had been playing, what we had sort of got used to the previous season, uh, and what we expected to see this season. Uh, I, I honestly cannot. Uh, and the guys, I'm sure, will back me up in this. I, I don't think I can get across just how different the two halves were. Yeah. Um, the, the first half, as Martin said, it, it was a chore. Because Aberdeen weren't great. You know, they were a goal. Mm-hmm. Roy Aitken scored, for fuck's sake. Now, Says everyone, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you're in a football match where Roy Aitken's a deciding factor in a good way, then things aren't, aren't progressing the way they're supposed to. But the second half, Rangers come in and monstered them. And... Yeah, I remember my dad saying to me, well, where's this been? Because he's a Rangers fan and therefore it's not enough to just sit and enjoy the fact a good performance is now happening. You've got to complain about you yeah. know, the fact that it hasn't been there. But it, there, was a, there was a shout of that. But also there was a sense of not... With hindsight, we can say there was a sense of everything will be fine from here on in because we know how it ends. I don't think that. There was a sense no. of you've put a marker down. Yeah. That's what you should be doing. That's what you can do. So it was a, a much more energised crowd that left that day, a much more positive crowd, but it wasn't everything is going to be okay and then suddenly it was all roses and petals thrown at their feet. It was more, um, ah, right, That's good, what, there's, yeah, there's, our, that's yeah, there's our Rangers back, and but but now you have to keep doing that. Gents, we're up and running on the greatest season. Thank you, Alan. Uh, thanks, Martin. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you to both of you. I really enjoyed that. I hope the listeners do too. Tensions disappeared. It's fun. Again, uh, Rangers ended that chaotic month of August in second place, one point behind Dundee United. But even by that stage, 
in all honesty, there was little doubt about where the domestic direction of travel was heading. Europe, however, was a different question. Until next week, bye for now. Podcast Network.